Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. We're right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law. They fight that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment that we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, duh? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 399, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Much to discuss today. Dak Prescott providing everybody with a little something. And we got the final two positions. Where does Dak rank according to ESPN's league survey of quarterbacks and wide receivers? Is CeeDee Lamb in the top 10? We'll dive through that. Got some stuff in the block. And the Rangers, man, all of a sudden have won four in a row and are coming back together, which is great. But before we start anything, we always start at the top because they've helped to make this thing possible for as long as we've been doing it. But more importantly, they help me personally and they'll help you. Because when you get hit in a car accident or you're injured on the premises of a business, what have you, it's a weird thing because you don't know what to do. All you know is, okay, immediately, I got to go to the hospital. Hey, we need a CAT scan. Okay. Hey, we need x-rays on 15 parts of your body. All right. And then you go, well, what the hell, man? I didn't do anything wrong. Now I got all these medical bills. Insurance companies calling me. It's, I don't know how you navigate that alone. I honestly don't. But I do know that Greening Law is an expert in going to battle against the insurance companies and making sure that you get taken care of. That is why if this happens to you, I highly recommend that you give Robert Greening and the Green Team a call. No, I think Matt said it best. If you go through something like that, you you don't want to deal with that situation by yourself. You don't want to have to navigate it by yourself because most of us have never been through it. So you need an experienced hand kind of guiding you through the process. That's what Greening Law does. And, uh, you know, so we tell you and, and we mean it. Anytime you're involved in something like that, man, the best thing to do is pick up the phone, give Greening Law a call and say, hey, Green Team, here's my situation. What do you think? And as I like to say, if they bring you on as a client, it's been a heck of a day for you because they're going to ride for you, fight for you, do everything that they've got to do to make sure that you come out on top. Uh, and so, you know, give them a call and let them work their magic. The number is easy. Of course, I forgot it now. I've got old man brain. 972-989. Oh, you were close. 972-934-8900. <laughs> See, old man brain, they could probably help me with this if I said, hey, I've got old man brain. What do you think? Yeah, and you could blame somebody else and maybe they can't help you. Who knows? (laughs) 
But yeah, I mean, the consultation's free, and that's the thing, because I mean, honestly, when I had my car accident, I didn't know if I had a case. All I know is that I had a ridiculous medical situation, and it was 0% my fault. So I called and said, hey, guys, I don't know, but I know you deal with car accidents, and I had one. Can you help me out? And they asked me some questions. Consultation was free, and they brought me on as a client. So find out, 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. So we went through this the other day with a lot of other positions. But again, the ESPN annual survey, what they do is they go around and they survey. I mean, this is everybody who's involved in the NFL. It's a variety of league executives, coaches in the NFL, scouts, and NFL players. And they compile a list ranking the top 10 players at 11 different positions. And then, of course, honorable mentions who didn't get enough votes to be in the top 10, but basically like 11 through 15. And then right. they tell you everybody who anybody was voted had a vote. And, and they've got, I mean, this is probably, I don't know, 30 some odd people that participate in this, something like that, basically. Yeah, it's, a, it's a legitimate number. So we went through everything the other day, but we didn't have the quarterbacks or the wide receivers yet. So before we get to the quarterbacks, did CeeDee Lamb make the top 10 in wide receivers in the NFL, do you think? CeeDee Lamb? Yes. And I have not seen the list. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to say no. Okay. You're very close because he comes in ranked number 10. <laughs> okay. And I was trying to go through my head real quick. There's a lot of good receivers in the NFL. And then I was in my head thinking, and then you got teams like the Dolphins where you could have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle mm -hmm. in the top 10 if you so desired. And so I'll just run through till we get to CeeDee Lamb real quick. Number one, I think right now most people would agree, Justin Jefferson is the number one. Devontae yeah. Adams, number two. Jamar Chase, number three. I would imagine pretty much everybody, and maybe that's not the right order in your mind, I would imagine almost everybody's putting those guys one, two, and three in whatever order you want to put. And the next two are probably the other two. You're like, well, what about these two guys? And it Stephon is Tyree Diggs. Kill. No, Tyree Kill and Cooper Cup. Wow, they don't have Stefan Diggs that high, huh? Stefan Diggs, Diggs is number six. Man, wow, okay, that's interesting. A.J. Brown from the Eagles, number seven. Okay. DK Metcalf from the Seahawks, number eight. I don't know if I'm buying that. See, and I thought that was interesting. Number nine is Terry McLaurin from the Washington Commanders, and number 10 is C.D. Lamb. Uh, I like Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin's a bad man. Who's uh, oh, Okay, now check this out. Terry McLaurin is a bad man doing it with a terrible uh, quarterback Qu yeah. situation. Yeah. Horrible um, offense around him. Yeah. And so, yeah, he is what he is. Um, DK Metcalf. I don't know. Do I not have enough respect for DK Metcalf? He, I had him in fantasy a couple of years ago, and he is hit and miss. He's, he's got high-level talent, but he's only surpassed 1,050 receiving yards once in his four seasons. Okay, check this out. But I'm he's sorry. such a big playability guy. Okay. Now, see, this is what you just said. Okay, see, I'm not, I'm t I just looked up his numbers and I'm taking him off my list at, at number eight. I put CeeDee Lamb ahead of him. And I would why. too. I would too. Here's why. Now, this is just a stat thing because uh, I don't get to see Seattle play very much. But he caught 90 balls, which is fine. 90 balls for 1,048 yards for a guy who's B 
big and fast and can take the top off of defense, that's terrible. That's 11.6 to carry. You know, 11.6 of reception. You know who does that, man? Dalton Schultz almost. <laughs> that's true. No, real talk. That's those 11.6 is what a good is what a, a really good tight end averages. Not the best receivers. I, I know of the top 10 receivers, nobody's averaging 11.6. They're all 13 to 15 yards, probably. Of course, I say that. Watch. Uh, let's see. What is CD? And he only scored six touchdowns. See, CD is 13.1. Yeah, and, and I mean, the reality of it is, again, in Seattle, I know Geno Smith had some renaissance season last year. I'm not buying him as a big-time quarterback whatsoever. Seattle has really fallen off in the last couple of years. And, and I see, I never looked at DK Metcalf as a true number one. I looked at him as more as like, if you've got a real, like if CeeDee Lamb's on the other side of the field from him, DK Metcalf yeah. could be a baller because I think he is a, he might be like the number one, number two wide receiver in the NFL, but right. now he's a number one. And I don't know that he actually is one because he doesn't do the whole route tree. He's right, not he's some dude who runs amazing routes and can run any route. He's, it, it, that's not him. No, he's uh let me show you what I can do. I can do this and this and this, and that's what we need to do, buddy. Yes, and, and so I thought it was interesting. I man, I might honestly, you know, the dude in Washington, Terry McLaurin, is is interesting because like you pointed out, he plays with such a shit quarterback situation on a shit offense that I can see having him higher, but I might have put CeeDee Lamb above those two guys. Now, honorable right. mentions. You have Debo Samuel, Mike Evans, T. Higgins, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddell, and Devonta Smith. So that gives, again, when the Cowboys are like, oh, we can't have Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. You guys realize that when I just went through that list, that the Bengals have two wide receivers, the Dolphins have two, and the Eagles have two, all in the top 15. Yeah, bro. Um, that's And see, when I was doing it in my head, I was thinking, like, some teams could have two of the top 10. Yeah, yeah. Depending on how you how you felt about them. Uh, now, I'm going I'm to I'm zip back for just a second. Terry McLaren averaged... We talked about we just got through talking about DK Metcalf, right? Terry McLaren averaged 15 and a half yards a catch. That's balling. Um uh especially given his quarterback situation. He's getting downfield making plays. Uh so no nah, man, you know, receivers, uh the game has changed so much that there's a ton of good receivers out there, man. And then colleges are producing big time receivers all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know it's the advent of seven on seven and you know receivers has been receivers and we'll get to this in a little while are what running backs to me used to be everybody wanted to play running back why it's tony dorsett it's emmett smith it's walter payton it's barry sanders you know it's eric dickerson it's adrian peterson well now i think they all want to be receivers you know because it's yeah. justin jefferson you know it's uh tyreek hill it's Devontae Smith, it's Stephon Diggs, it's CeeDee Lamb. All, all your best players uh, tend to be quarterbacks and receivers. And to me, man, think about how the game has changed. Because what happened was those running backs used to take over. Yeah. And then what did everybody want to be? You wanted to be Lawrence Taylor. You wanted to be an outside linebacker. Because, you know, if running back didn't appeal to you, you took all those running back traits and made them outside linebackers. And then kind of uh, evolved into, uh, you know, kind of uh, dual threat quarterbacks. No longer pocket passers. Everybody wanted to be Mike Vick. Oh, you can make, you, you can throw back and do, you can do, you know, Fran Tarkenton and Archie Manning and Roger Staubach and those guys used to be 
the um, the exception now you can't even play it unless you want to be like those guys so uh, the, the evolution of the game is always fascinating and now man it's about the receivers i mean great receivers come out almost every year they do and and i think like you're talking about with the changing of the game especially now i mean we talked about this the other day if you're some dude who used to want the ball in his hands every down, you're like, oh, I'll be the running back. I mean, now you look around and go, man, I, I, if I want to be elite and get paid, paid, I'm not going to be a running back. So we'll no, see. But, you know, it's uh, I heard a lot of people real quick talk about that from a from a kid perspective, like, oh, if I got a kid, he's not playing running back in peewee football. And I'm like, that just seems like a bit much. To me. It does. And I mean, reality of it is. There's not a lot of running backs that are going to grow to be 6'4", 6'5", and be able to do the things that wide receivers can do. It's different. Now, right. yes, there are wide receivers who are built like running backs. There's a lot of – I understand that. But, I mean, point being, if you've got some kid who's like, hey, I'm 6'4 in high school, you're probably not playing running back anyway. Right. So, you know, it's uh, – I don't know. If you're six foot two ten. Or, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe they become slot receivers now. I don't know. It could be, be interesting to see how the game evolves. But it's still, if you have to look at the big picture. If somebody told you you can be a professional athlete, play in the NFL, and the worst thing is going to happen to you is you're going to make $22 million over two years, you'd probably take it. I would. I'm in. Please sign me up right now. You know what? Yeah. I will take the Saquon money, and I'll be pissed about it that I had to take $10 million right. to play a game. You know what it reminds me of a little bit, bro? This happened uh, in the media maybe 10 years ago. Maybe 10 years ago? Because I remember hearing about it, but I didn't pay much attention to it because it didn't involve me. It was when television stations started telling anchors, we're not paying you a million dollars anymore. Nope. When your contract's up, that million dollars you used to make. Because I remember Dale Hansen talking about it, which is why it stuck with me. Yeah. And he was, he was mad, he was pissed, he was upset. But basically he said, you know what? I guess I'll take this 500000 and be happy with it. Because in our world, not the athletic world, there's not a lot of $500,000 jobs floating around here. Yeah. I mean, it, you know? that's so, reality. So in the athletic world, it sucks, especially when you see other positions getting paid. But the reality is, and I've told this to a lot of players over the years who are on minimum contracts or angry about this or that, like, dog, it's all good, man, because you got to look at the big picture in the long game, which is, at the time, not a lot of jobs out here pay 750000 bro. So there's not a lot of jobs that pay $10 million. Not at all. Now, you deserve more, but you got to take the $10 million to make it work for you. Um, one last thing about that, man. You know why, in my opinion, Tony Pollard signed his tender for $10 million, but Barkley and Josh Jacobs have not signed theirs. Tony Pollard's a fourth-round pick. He yep. ain't never got money. Never got paid like that. Never. Like, he's probably in four years. Real talk now, he probably made about $3 million, which is a lot of money for me and you and for the regular person. It's nothing in the NFL. So he looked at 10 and was like, man, it'd be great to get a longer-term deal, but let me hurry up and lock, lock this 10 in so that nothing happens to it. Yeah, you were almost right on that. So Tony Pollard, and we'll just go down this rabbit hole real quick and then circle back to Dak because I wanted to get into this. Tony Pollard, in the four years that he had been with the Cowboys, made $3.9 million. Oh, I was close. 
So I would say that's slightly different than a guy like a Saquon Barkley, who keep in mind was a first round draft pick and not just a first round draft pick, a very high first round draft pick. Saquon Barkley in the five seasons that he has been in the NFL has made $38.6 million. Think about that, bro. So I'm not, look, I sucked at math, failed in high school, all this. That's (laughs) roughly a $34 million difference between Saquon and Tony Pollard. Yeah, which is why Saquon can sit there and contemplate. I don't think he's going to do it, but he can contemplate whether he wants to sit out a year or something because he's made a bunch of money. And, you know, if he saved any portion of it, he's good. Uh, Tony Pollard's not in that category. No, he's not. And, uh, and even Josh Jacobs, he uh, what's he made? He So, again, uh, yeah, basically. So, a first-round draft pick, but he was drafted number 24 overall, 20 spots lower than Saquon. In his career so far, he has made $12 million. Yeah, so, you know. So, again, four times more, well, three times more than what Tony Pollard has made in his career. Right. So, a big difference. Right. And remember, for those, and we're not shedding tears for these guys. But for Jacobs and Pollard, don't forget, that's before taxes, that's before agents, yeah. you know, that's, you know, so, and that's before, and let's just keep it real, that's before as a young man with money, you went crazy, whether you bought a house for your parents and yourself or three car, whatever you do, whatever people do when they come into a lump sum of money, just look at anybody who's won the lottery. And so, yeah, now they're in the second contract. They're, we, we would think, more mature at 26. And so this is a contract that they're basically trying to get to live off of, you know, and make their future uh, very easy. So as we – and, you know, one more thing with the Pollard. I, I thought – I never, ever, even in my mind, thought the Cowboys were signing him to a long-term deal. But on Monday, as it approached the deadline, I mean, ESPN's doing like a 30-minute segment on Tony Pollard and the Cowboys – you see it everywhere. Cowboys won't come to a deal. I was like, did anybody? I never thought that it was under consideration they'd come to a long-term deal. <laughs> uh, I mean, I unless it was think... something that was like where we're looking at it and go, wow, I can't believe Tony Pollard took that. Yeah, and there's no reason to take that because exactly. they're, not going to, they're just not going to offer you anything worth taking. And don't forget, it's like Dak Prescott when he was doing his negotiations, which is – I'm locked in at two years and 22 because if you franchise me two years in a row, I get 12 million the next year. So any conversation has to begin at two years and 22. That's where it starts. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, here we go, Matt. Tony Pollard is 26, even though he hadn't had a lot of usage. Running backs traditionally fall off a cliff at 28. So what kind of deal am I going to give you? Because I anticipate you falling off a cliff. So the math just doesn't even make sense. I completely agree. And I, I just, it never in my mind that I think. Position. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's the reality of where they're at. So you take your $10 million and you look around and, and I think going back to what you said, it, 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 yeah, does it suck? Are you sitting here going, man, but the problem becomes like, you have to be real about the situation in which you're in. And like you said, have some gratitude of, I have the opportunity in my lifetime to make $10, $11 million in a year. And yes, I, I wish I could make more. I, I wish that I was a wide receiver and was making 25, but I'm not. And so I'm going to be happy that I get to do what I love and get paid pretty damn good to do that. 
Yeah, but I get it, man. It's uh, you know, I get it, and I can I can remember when I was a columnist, and you you start hearing like, oh, top five papers, top five markets. Those columnists make this much, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm making this much, and so it becomes, yeah, it's cool that I'm making this much, but people who do what I do, they're just making so much more. And uh, and in this case, you're like people who play football. You know, if you're not a kicker and a punter, you're making so much more than running backs. It's, you know, you have to. I think you're right. You have to. Uh, you just have to look at the big picture and just be. You right. do, man. Trust me, I'm aware. It sucks for me playing running back, but that's what it is. I'm I'm very aware because it, <laughs> it's just the reality of the situation. You know what, bro? It's almost like when we were when we were at ESPN doing radio. It's very much like, exactly like that. Like, you know, same market, like, same place, doing same very, job, doing very well, <laughs> and it's just it's the reality of the situation. Yeah, because that because uh, you know the reality of it was we were making peanuts compared to what you should be making in that market doing what we were doing. Well, and look, I mean, here here it is. Is it all comes back to. Yes, you can value yourself more and you can do this, but there, it's so easy in that situation like the Giants are doing saying, kick ass, you think you're awesome and great. Here's where we think your value is and we're the people with the money. So if you want yeah. some of it, here's what we're willing to pay for that. Otherwise, don't get paid. We don't give a shit. Yeah. And uh, at least for, for me in our situation, it was uh, I'm going to bet on myself and take these what I call relative peanuts and hope that I can do enough to get that peanut butter sandwich down the road. There you go. <laughs> which, which we almost claimed. Yeah, we did, man. What a nice analogy that was. But instead, <laughs> when they're like, here's your sandwich, and we're like, oh, my God, this looks great. And then we went to take a bite out of it, and it was a shit sandwich. <laughs> and as my dad says, my dad told me this when I was in high school. He's like, sometimes, you know, you just got to take a bite out of a shit sandwich. And he I was right. It. And so we did. I liked it. Yep. And that's reality. All right, so coming back around to this list, the ESPN list here is what we were talking about. We are having a little fun, but the quarterbacks, I, I had zero doubt that Dak Prescott would be ranked in the top 10. Do you think he's ranked in the top 10? Oh, he has to be. Okay, and he is. And I know those of you out here, oh, what, what? And again, this isn't our list. This is a list of people who are in the freaking NFL believe Dak Prescott's a top 10 quarterback. Number one is obviously Patrick Mahomes. As a matter of fact, he received all but two first place votes in their survey. And I'd be curious to see who else it was. If it wasn't Pat Mahomes, it must have been Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow comes in number two. And Josh Allen comes in number three with Aaron Rodgers now at number four and rounding out the top five. And I thought this was interesting. Justin Herbert, number five in the NFL. Who's number six? Number six is Jalen Hurts, which I also thought was interesting. Lamar Jackson, number seven. Trevor Lawrence, number eight. Okay, well, it sounds to me like there's a tier where Pat Mahomes is up there by alone by himself. Yeah, and then king of the football world. Then there's Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. And I would say they're on a tier by themselves. I'd put Aaron Rodgers on a tier by himself. And then I'd say those other guys, the next three or four, 
you can kind of put together. Although, you know, Justin Herbert's an interesting case to me because everybody raves about him, but he ain't done nothing yet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's done nothing. And that's what, I, I mean, and, and he's got pieces. I mean, it's not like he's playing in an offense that has no weapons. They've got pieces out there with the Chargers. And so, I, I don't know, I thought that was interesting. It's almost as if the next guys, like Herbert, Jalen Hurts, and, and certainly Trevor Lawrence, it's almost as if their potential is so much higher than a Dak Prescott that we believe they're on a level right now above him because we think he they can go a place that he can't go. And that I can understand. Well, he, I mean, he did throw for 4,700 yards last year and 5,000 the year before that. But by the same token, they're 19 and 15 in that stretch. Yeah, the data, he doesn't suck. He's a very good quarterback. He's definitely in the top 10. And honestly, like, I don't know where you would have him. So rounding out, coming in at number nine is Dak Prescott. It, and I actually, when I saw this, I said, oh, you know what? Nine? Okay. I'm, I might have put him ahead of a guy like a Trevor Lawrence who's only two two times, two seasons into this. He was really good the back part of last season, but I haven't seen Trevor Lawrence do it extended enough. No, I think that's a case of you view Trevor Lawrence as an ascending player. Right. And you view Dak Prescott as a, to me, as a status quo player, which is he's played in the league long enough. This is who he is. And and look, if it, like Jalen Hurts to me, I like Jalen Hurts a lot. I had him on my fantasy team last, last year. The dude, much like Dak, is a motivator of men. He's played in a Super Bowl, and Dak hasn't even sniffed one. Now, that being said, the team around Jalen Hurts is better than the team around Dak Prescott. I just think we can all agree with that. that they have The Eagles probably have the best offensive line in the game, and they've got two elite-level wide receivers and one of the top four or five tight ends in the game for him to play with. That's just and fact. A really, and a really good running back. Yes. So it, it, there's just differences. Now, that being said, what, what they said about Dak – one NFL guy says he wasn't seeing the field well last year, wasn't as decisive in the past. An AFC executive says he's been a top 10 quarterback for a few years now. Part of his game was that was so great was the ability to run the ball and throw more play action off that. They didn't have that as much with weapons on the outside, but I'm not down on him. He's accurate. He can extend and make plays. He's elite in his decision making. And keep in mind, this is coming off of a season in which he threw 15 interceptions. Right, right, right. So I actually think, and you and I have both talked about this, Like, and, and I love when you point this out because nobody ever mentions this. When we talk about, oh, you had a career best year, and we go, well, he didn't do that again. Well, then, yeah, because it's we call it career best. Like, that's the best year he's going to have in his career. And then last year, you might look at it and say, man, that was a career worst. Yeah. But like the reality of what Dak is is probably better than what he was last year and maybe not as good as he has been at, at points. And if he's somewhere in between, that's still a pretty damn good NFL starting quarterback. Yeah, I think people just – you. I mean, it's, it's really just what you just said. You can have best years and you can have worst years uh, for a variety of reasons. It's just you just have to understand what, what they are and build off of them. And uh, I think everybody knows Dak is a worker and a grinder and a builder. And so if he can fix it, there's no reason to think that he won't improve. Now, here's to me, and this is to me, this is how simple it is. Dak Prescott, it, 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 but you have to have a real conversation. Most people can't have a real conversation about Dak because they're so emotionally invested, whether they love him or whether they hate him. They're emotionally, 
invested in the conversation so they can't have the conversation. Dak, to me, has never, ever been the dude who will elevate your offense by himself, i.e. Pat Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. He's not that guy, and that's okay. So what he is is when you put players around him, then he can do his best work. When you take players away from him, his second year in the league where he said, oh, we don't need a number one receiver. We'll just do it by committee. And what happened? Halfway through, they go, oh, we better get Amari Cooper in this bitch. Yeah. And then what happened? Dak took off, had several great seasons, several really good seasons, several outstanding seasons, however you want to mark it. So what happened, man? They took his receivers away and gave him pedestrian weapons. And what happened? Dak threw 15 interceptions, didn't have a good year. Wide receivers couldn't get separation in general. So what they do this season? They gave him Brandon Cooks. Now you got him with Gallup, who's healthy. Now you got CeeDee Lamb. Now you got Tony Pollard. We gave you a couple options at tight end, young guys who look like they can contribute. Mm-hmm. Oh, we gave you some things, some toys to play with. So I expect Dak to go back to being a good player again because he's not a guy who can elevate average players. Now check this out. Tony Romo could, and that's okay. But Tony Romo ain't won shit. And Dak hasn't won it either yet. So now we'll get the chance to see what he can do with good players around him. And I expect him to go back to being an outstanding quarterback. I would as well. And he said something the other day that we got to get into. But before we do that, we do need to tell you about our great sponsors, man. And it starts with Freeway Tire Shop. As Jacques can tell you, he takes all of his cars there. JR and his crew. When you experience what Freeway Tire Shop can do for you, you will not go to another mechanic ever again because you trust his work and the customer service, the level in which they take care of you while you're there is elite. And quite frankly, you just don't experience anything like that with mechanics anywhere ever. No, man. And the key is that JR, who, you know, was trained in Home Depot's program on customer service, he just took it with him, man. He embodied it and he lived it because he believed in it. And so, you know, I go to Trey JR because I trust him, man. I trust him to diagnose quickly what's wrong with my car. I trust him to use quality parts to fix my car. I trust him to give me a fair price. Not everybody does. And then I trust him, man, to stand behind his work. So I tell everybody, real talk, if your mechanic ain't doing each and every one of those things, not two out of four, not three out of four, all four of those things, go find another mechanic. Go to JR. Go right up 35 toward Denton. Get off of Commonwealth, go through the light, look to the right. You cannot miss it. He's right there. Tell him you're a jam fan. Hey, send us a thank you note later. Seems easy to me. It's Freeway Tire yeah, Shop. Yeah. You can check them out online if you'd like, freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, made possible by HFX Foundation Solutions. And again, guys, you know this. I mean, Dallas, I was looking at the forecast. To, we were recording this on, on Tuesday. And the high on Tuesday is supposed to be like 107, 108. And oh it's, it's wild because DFW is going through a string of 100 degree days. And then this weekend dips into the high 90s, then back to 100 degree days all next week. That type of heat when it's not raining dries out your foundation. And the, the, the soil in North Texas is wonky anyway. If you are seeing cracks in your floors, your walls, your ceiling, Doors that you used to go into a bedroom and open no problem, and now you got to, it's sticking a little. Those are signs that you may have a, a shift in your foundation. 
that could potentially be a really bad problem. The good news is with HFX Foundation Solutions, they can take care of that for you and they offer a free, no obligation inspection. So they'll come out and see if you've got something wrong or not and they're not gonna charge you to do that, which is great. Nah, man. Um, it's 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 the reason why we say it's a colonoscopy for your crib, man. It's the reason why they say, hey, why we say, hey, come over here and let them, let Aaron and his group look at your crib. Why? Because they can see all the things that you don't see. That's what we're talking about. All the things you can't see, they can take a look at, they can get a handle on, and before it becomes a problem, they can say, hey, here's what's going on. That's why, I mean, that's why anybody else has a colonoscopy, so they can see all the things going inside you before a problem exists. So call Aaron and his team, tell them what you need, have them come check it out, and if they do find something, chances are they catch it early. And if you catch it early, we all know you don't pay as much as if you catch it late. You know, foundation repair, drains and gutters, retaining walls, you know, under structure maintenance. That's that stuff we're talking about that you can't see. They do it all, man. So give them a call. Let them solve your problems. And, hey, give you um, give you the freedom to enjoy your home. Because I'm telling you, nothing brings down the value of your home quicker than saying, oh, I did have some foundation issues. So yeah, give Aaron yeah. and his team a call. 817-770-0174. It's easy, man. Again, that number, 817-770-0174. They're local. They're family-owned. More info, they're online, hfxfoundation.com. So Dak Prescott yesterday on Monday at his youth camp, he said something really interesting, and I love it because I want my quarterback to be this bold, and I want him to believe like this. As we talked about, he led the NFL, tied for the lead with 15 interceptions last year, but he threw it in just 12 games. And he promised flat out that will not happen in 2023. He literally said, I won't have 10 interceptions this year. And then he went on to say the reason why. Some of it is the offense and them understanding exactly where to go. Mike does an amazing job with those guys. They know where the hell to be, why to be, when they're getting looked at. That's going to be a big jump. And he says, I know who I am, and you can go back and take away half of those off drops. I'm not saying it's on the receiver, but if you cut that in half, then we start talking about those. Nobody is talking about it. And I, I read one article where somebody went back and did that and said that only five of those were deflected off Cowboys receivers, which would drop his interceptions to 10. But then again, like he's talking about, and this is a problem. This drives me insane. And this is how I know people that don't know anything about football. You'll see somebody, like if you ever watch a game in public, which is very difficult to do when you have inside information half the time. But, right. I mean, you know this. You'll see immediately, oh my God, Dak sucks. I can't believe he threw that. And then I'm watching it going, dude, the receiver ran the wrong route. It was blatantly obvious. Dak threw it where he was supposed to go. The receiver didn't go there. That's not on Dak. That happened, so it's not only off of their hands where they probably should have caught it. It's also receivers, as he just kind of pointed out without throwing anybody by name under the bus, knowing where the hell to be and why they're supposed to be there because they're throwing it where the receiver's supposed to be, and if the receiver's not there, that to me is 100% on the receiver, not Dak. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's that's how it works. You get, you get the... Um, <clears throat> You get it on your on your tab, but you know that, man. I mean, it's part of being a quarterback. You get it on your tab. 
And so um, that's that's why you want better receivers. And, you know, I find it very interesting, man, that there there has been – Dak has mentioned it a couple of times. McCarthy mentioned it a couple of times. There's been a lot of emphasis, a lot of emphasis on um, guys being in the right spot. Makes yes. me think that last year <sighs> – it's it's not I don't want to say that they didn't know the offense, but it seems to me that what he's talking about is if if the play wasn't designed for you, then you didn't really run your route. You didn't run your clear out route the way you should have run it, which meant, you know, you brought instead of running it like you're really getting the ball, you kind of half assed it, with, which right. left other people in position to make plays that they would, shouldn't have been able to make if you were doing what you were supposed to do. And that's why there's been a big emphasis on why you do, why everybody knows exactly why they're doing what they're doing in every play. Um, seems kind of basic, but you know, a lot of times maybe the little things that, uh, that uh, separate winning and losing. And I think, or interceptions from completions or uh, just incompletions. And I think they got caught up in that last year. Yeah, and we'll see. Now, again, when he says, I won't have 10 interceptions, keep in mind, in seasons in which he has played a whole season, 16 games, essentially, an entire season, in 2021, he only had 10 in 16 games. In 2018, he threw just eight in 16 games. In his rookie year, he threw just four in 16 games. So it, it's not preposterous. I mean, it's it's he certainly has shown that he knows how to limit his interceptions. And that part of that is when he's had better receiving groups, obviously around him and guys that know where the hell they're supposed to go. But a a perfect example of this, we were talking about that show quarterback, the last podcast we did, there's a clip where Kirk cousins throws it. And as soon as he, he he like releases, he goes, no, no, keep going. Oh God. Because he threw it and he's coming out the field. He goes, he ran the wrong damn route. He was like, he's supposed to sit and he took off and I threw it. He's like, I threw it when he was sitting. And my, as soon as it left my hand, he, he left the spot. It went right to the guy. And then he goes over the receiver goes, Hey man, that's on me. That's on me. Don't worry about it. But it, it literally was the receiver. And they showed it back, like going through film and the receiver was supposed to run like a, a seven, essentially like a seven yard hitch or whatever, like where he, like a stop where he's just sitting, right. like he turns and sits and instead, he turns, and the ball wasn't immediately there, so he just started running again. And Cousins threw it as soon as he turned, and because of that, he threw it right to the DB because the receiver had left the spot in which he was throwing it. Dude, that happens quite a bit. Uh, but the, the best quarterbacks always accept all the blame right, for it. Yeah. Uh, they dish out the credit. They take the blame. It's just part of the position. Um and so no, I mean we, I mean hell, we saw it in 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 our own eyes, but we also saw Dak make a lot of bad throws where we're like, dude. But I will say this: sometimes there's a throw so bad you go, something's wrong with that play. Like, you yeah, know, somebody read the wrong coverage, somebody didn't run the right route. Something it's so off kilter that there has to be an explanation for it. Yes, and look, I'm not trying to say that every. <laughs> Some of them were on Dak, and there's no debating that. I mean, there were throws, I thought, last year, and we talked about this going through the games. Part of this becomes I don't think he felt comfortable with anybody else, and it felt like sometimes he would force stuff to C.D. Lamb when he shouldn't have that led to interceptions. Right. Because he has faith in C.D. Lamb, and he'd look around and either guys weren't where they were supposed to be or who knows what, he didn't have that trust. 
And so there were a couple of times where interceptions were a result of him trying to throw it over the middle and force it to CD when maybe he should have checked it down or done something else. So yes, I'm not trying to sit here and go, oh, Dak doesn't make mistakes. He sure as hell does make mistakes. And he threw some bad passes last year. I think there's no debating that. Oh, yeah. But I'm very curious, like you're pointing out, with the way they've been talking about this offense, really curious to see if there's a marked improvement. And I'll be curious at training camp to dive into that a little bit more about, okay, just what you talked about, man. Like we, we hear a lot about the way you guys describe this and ask them, were receivers not in the spots they were supposed to be at times last year? Like the old, give me an example of, of what you're talking about when you say why they need to be where they are or where they're supposed to be where they are. Because help me explain, there really seems to be more of an emphasis on that this season coming off of what we saw last season. What's the biggest difference? Those types of right. things and see if you can get an answer from them to dig a little right. bit deeper on exactly what it is they're talking about. I would agree with that because uh, what you want is examples now to right. uh, bring, bring depth to the conversation. The old reporter trick that I learned from Jacques. That I use many times in interviews because you have to. And that's what I love because if you listen to interviews, there's a lot of the times when you're listening and you sit there and go, that's interesting. I, I'd like, oh, you're asking another question and because you thought that he answered what you Dude. wanted when there was more to, for him to give. But you didn't know how Dude. to get it from them. The Musers missed such a great opportunity yesterday and they're the best in the country at it. They had John Daniels on mm -hmm. and they were asking him, uh, what would you like to do different if you had a magic wand could do different? And he said, oh, you know, there's a million things I'd want to do. Different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's this approach and that approach, and I wish I had been more patient when I first got the job, but hell, I was 28. I didn't know what I didn't know, blase, blase, blase. He said, but man, the deals I wish I could take back, I could, I could rattle off 20 of them right now. And I was like, okay, what's at the top of the list? I know, that's what I was thinking too, because I Dude, heard that as well. And they went right on to, so are you still living in Dallas? And I was just like, fellas. But, you know, I'm saying that as somebody who interviews all the time. And I had, you know, I've had countless interviews where the interview is over and I go, you dumbass, man, that dude opened up a window for you. Yeah. And you just walked right past it, bro. It happens. So it, ha it happens. Oh, there's That's no perfect saying. interview. No, but man, I was sitting up there waiting like, which which deal does he regret the most? Yeah. Because they made so many deals at deadlines trying to win championships that, you know, he made a lot of good ones and a lot of bad ones. So I was, I was real curious about that. I was as well. But we'll see. We'll try to get some answers as Cowboys camp gets going next week. But let's take a trip around the block before we wrap this thing up here today. And before we get into that, we got to tell you, about our friends over there at Smokey John's Barbecue, man. The, the best barbecue in DFW. And not only is it the best barbecue, you're talking about such a positive experience when you go in there because they're both just really good people. They train their staff really well. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's just a lot of positivity when you go in there. Everybody's always smiling and happy. And maybe it's because they know that the Jam Session Bowl is in there and that you're about to get blown away by the Jam Session Bowl that they created just for the podcast, which is awesome. Can't thank those guys enough for their support over the years. And the fact there's a menu item that's on the secret menu that any of you listening can go in and order that somebody else that would walk in there would have no idea what it even is. Man, that, that to this day still blows my mind and is awesome. 
Dude, it's uh, it's fantastic. If you haven't had the jam session bowl, let me tell you something. You need to go in there, strut to the front of the counter with confidence and say, I want one of them thar jam session bowls. And it's now you got to specify whether you want it to be with mac and cheese as a base or whether you want it to be with mashed potatoes as a base. But after that, man, then it's your choice out of two out of five smoked meats. Now, I told y'all I usually rock with the brisket and the sausage. Um, but then all the stuff you find on loaded baked potato, man, from chives to bacon bits, uh, butter, sour cream, all that stuff, man. They put it right on top of it. And then they either drench it with that great barbecue sauce or they drizzle it with that sauce, that sauce that you can find at H-E-B, I might add. Dude, it's to live for. You can't have it enough. Trust me. It's fantastic. Nobody's ever said anything other than it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, so go into uh, Smokey John's, get the jam session bowl and uh, thank us later. Because you will. It's Smokey John's barbecue right over there. Off Mockingbird, just north of downtown Dallas, in between 35 and Love Field. You're going to love it. So a quick trip around the block here, and a couple of things I wanted to throw out for you. First off, I thought this was interesting. I didn't. I honestly didn't know that this was news yesterday because SEC Media Days is going on in Nashville this year. And I've known for a long time that it was going to be in Dallas next year, and I completely forgot that that was like inside <laughs> knowledge. Right, so right. I saw this all over Twitter yesterday, and I was like, Yes, I, why is everybody all gung-ho about this? And then I, I started talking to somebody at the station and I was like, oh, I had no idea that wasn't public. Because <laughs> we, I mean, we had known for a long time, but yeah, and I'm really curious about this because they have started with the SEC, with Texas and Oklahoma joining next year. They right. have, like the Big 12, we've been there. Big 12 Media Days, it's two days. It's really, eh. SEC Media Days is four days. It's on a different planet. And they did it in Atlanta in 2022. It's in Nashville in 2023. And now it's going to be in Dallas in 2024. Like this year in Nashville, they had like a welcome concert in this whole thing. And they go, I mean, there's like a big ass media party and stuff. And, and I mean, there's probably somewhere in the range of 50 to 70 radio stations from around the South that are all there on Radio Row. They make a really big deal out of it. Wow. But it's interesting because generally speaking, yeah, Dallas enjoys college football, but you don't hear a lot of people talk about it. And I'll be really curious to see what level of care the city has for SEC media days next year. Um, in what respect? Well, I mean, it, there's just so much else going on. That like when you go to Atlanta, that's where the SEC championship is. College football is a huge deal in Atlanta. Same in Nashville, who hosts the SEC basketball tournament. And college football is a big deal in Nashville because you have Vanderbilt there and Knoxville where Tennessee plays isn't far away. In Dallas, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see because that's the week of the All-Star game next year, which, oh, by the way, is in Arlington next year. It'll right. be a week before Cowboys training camp. And I'll just be curious to see if there's any type of splash locally. And I, I wonder with Texas No You going, because there's so many alumni of Texas No You in the DFW area, if that yeah. will vault college football to a new level when they go to the SEC next year. In the DFW no, I area, so. I mean. I think so. Um, as long as they're, you know, I think, I think there'll be that initial hit and that initial wave, that initial splash. And then it's a matter of whether those teams can sustain it uh, and play to the level that's required to compete year in and year out 
in the SEC. Um, now, this may sound strange to y'all. At this particular moment, at, on this particular day, I think Texas will be able to do that because I think Texas is recruiting. And what we're about to find out, because Texas has been recruiting, we're about to find out if Sark and his staff can develop. And if they can develop these quarterbacks into the players that they're supposed to be, uh, then Texas will be straight and Texas will be good. The program you got to worry about is Oklahoma. Mm. Now, some of y'all might be like, no, we're boomer sooner with this, with that. I'm telling y'all, you better worry about Oklahoma because they struggled last year in the Big 12. All right? Um, their recruiting hasn't been great. They got a first-time head coach. And first-time head coaches, yeah, you know, man, at a program like Oklahoma, they're, they're just hard, man, because you, don't, you get punished so hard for any mistakes that you make from being a first-time head coach. And here's the other thing, man. He's a defensive guy, and we're in an offensive era. And um, I don't know, OU, this is a big year for OU, man. It they is. to show a little something uh, because Lincoln, Lincoln Riley did what he's supposed to do. He took his best players with him. Um, you know, he's not getting a lot of grief uh, like some other coaches, but he took his best players with him to, to, to USC. And uh, this is a big year for Oklahoma, man, because if you go into the SEC half-stepping, and I mean, if you go into the SEC off of a seven and five record or eight and four, dude, you're just going to get buried once you get over there because you're not going to be able to recruit coming in at the level that you need to recruit to compete. It's a big year for Texas as well, because like you said, they've recruited really, really well. They're their preseason favorite for the first time since 2009 in the Big 12. They should win the Big 12. They are the best team on paper in the Big 12. But again, they don't play games on paper, and it hasn't mattered before when Texas has had more talent. This is the year Sark needs to show you can get to that 10-win hump. And you got to, like 10-2 and two needs to be the floor for Texas this year. And I'm telling you straight out, because they play in the Big 12, they get Alabama in week two. Alabama's got a lot of early season questions that need answering. Texas doesn't really have any early season. They know who their quarterback is. They know pieces. Alabama's got to answer some things. It's in Bryant-Denny. If Texas knocks off Alabama, it's going to be a very interesting season for them because they could afford to lose a game in Big 12 play and find a way into the playoff. Now, I don't think they're they're not on the level of a Georgia or anything of that nature, but coming out of the Big 12, just because it's this conference, right? and some of these teams are going to be a little down this year from where they were. Like, TCU is not going to be anywhere near what they were last year. It's just going to be interesting. So outside of that, I also wanted to throw this out because we've been watching a couple things. I got to tell you this, man. We watched Extraction 2 on Netflix <laughs> which is the Chris Hemsworth movie. Yeah. You want to talk about a movie that basically snorted a kilo of cocaine and displayed itself? <laughs> that thing is nonstop, go, go, go the entire way through. I mean, it is, if you like action, I that might be one of the best action movies I've ever seen. Really? I was going to say extra Extraction, the first one was pretty balls to the wall. I mean, my God, they upped the game. I don't even know how they filmed some of these scenes. They use a lot of drones, obviously. I mean, there are scenes where it's like nonstop for 15 minutes and it doesn't even look like Jeez. they cut and stop. 
And it's almost like you're watch, like you're playing a video game, like a cutscene of Call of Duty or something. Like it's wow. nuts. It's insane at times. And they kill a lot of people in this movie, man. <laughs> a lot of people. I was gonna say we should keep track of it, how many people they killed. But man, it it is. I I got to give that one high, high level praise because it is way up there. As a matter of fact, we also finally got around to watching John Wick Four. Now oh, look, geez, I you just must have been on adrenaline overload. We were, but John Wick Four, and I love John Wick, but there's more of a story and a plot to it that like Extraction Two is based. I mean, look, it's Extraction. What the hell you think happens? He goes to rescue somebody who needs to be extracted. So there's really not much of a plot to it. It's just kill a bunch of people, blow up a bunch of stuff, and nonstop adrenaline insane. John Wick 4 has some slow parts, and it's really long. It's almost three hours long. Right. And obviously, there's elite level. I mean, Mike, you talk about a guy that kills somebody. John Wick, I'm not kidding you. I would guess, and I'm not exaggerating, I would guess John Wick kills somewhere around 400 people in John Wick 4. <laughs> How do you do that? There's a scene where he kills 100 people easy. <laughs> I hope he's got something other than a handgun. There's multiple things. And and oh, okay. I will say this is the first John Wick I've noticed this. The actors do a really good job, but there are times where because you always wonder like, okay, so 50 dudes are rushing into a room and he's not just in an empty room. I mean, there's stuff to hide behind and whatnot, but why don't they all just run right at him? He can't possibly stop 50 guys at once. <laughs> and, you know, it'll be one of those things where, like, a few guys will run at him, and he'll shoot a dude in the face, and then he karate's another guy or whatever. And then, like, he'll hit a dude in the side of the head, and you can tell, okay, we choreographed this. And, man, I noticed the actor in the background, he like, he's just more stunned than he should be from the shot that he took. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he's, like, stumbling around, and then he kind of shakes his head, so that when John Wick eliminates the one guy he's fighting, then all of a sudden this dude's ready to go again. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I don't know. And, and I don't know why. I just, I know, and maybe it's because there's so many more people that he kills in this movie. I just, I noticed that more in the background with guys that either had gotten shot or hit in the head or whatever, that they just seem to be, okay, I'm stunned, I'm stunned, I'm stunned. Okay, he's ready for me. And, oh, I feel better. Oh, let's fight. I don't know. Dude. What happens is, and this is why I can only watch certain stuff. For example, there's a movie on Apple with uh, Idris Elba about uh, stopping a kidnapping on a plane. And I was rolled by my friend's house the other day, and I, uh, we were talking. And I said, dude, I can't watch that. He's like, why? Idris is great. I said, dude, it's him on a plane stopping a kidnapping. Whatever happens, he will survive. I feel good about that. Yes. Which means I ain't going to watch it. <laughs> because whatever drama, whatever tense situation he's in, it's like Batman and Robin when I was a kid. He's over a boiling pot of vat of oil. Yeah. Everything seems like it's all gone. I wonder how he'll get out of this. But he will, because you can't but kill Batman TV show. Right, and you can't kill Idris Elba in a movie. So. But I will tell you this, can you kill John Wick? See, I didn't think so. And well, you'll have to watch the movie to answer that question. Well, because see, if there if they is, I, I might watch all four of them just to get to that. I mean, and, and I really enjoy John Wick. I mean, he he's a, a flat-out badass, but that was solid. And then we also finally got around to watching Avatar 2, Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, and I get it. This, this was more, this could have been an hour and a half movie. 
Instead, it's three hours. The first 90 minutes are colossally boring, but visually stunning. Yeah. Like it was 90 minutes of James Cameron going, look what I figured out how to do. (laughs) And we're watching it. and, And there's a point where we go, we get it. Like, I understand all this already. You don't have to spend 90 minutes of the movie giving me all this backstory that I don't care about. Well, he didn't, he didn't, he just did. This movie is for him. It's not for you. But man, once it gets uh, going 90 minutes into the damn thing, it's awesome. I read something about it and there's, it's, there's one scene. I can't remember which, how he described it. It's the one I think where all the people go to attack the boat and get the kids back. Yeah. That's awesome. And he says, he did it, and somebody said, well, you know, the scene is like six minutes. You should probably cut it to like two. And he was like, why? Well, you know, the audience isn't going to, he's like, they'll like what I tell them to like. We're keeping it at six. <laughs> well, you should have made it 16 and cut out some of the other crap in the middle of the movie. <laughs> but uh, no, I thought it was a cool movie. I thought it was fine. Now, the good thing is I was multitasking while I was doing it. So the first 90 minutes didn't bother me much because I was doing something else while it was on. Man, I just was like, I was like, I get it. He met these new people and they got to teach him all this crap. I mean, we understand all this. Like, it's great. You don't have to show us all the little minutia of detail that they do with these new people that they met. Who cares? But I will say, and I didn't realize this because I was reading about the movie. He He's the first director to figure out how to use because I am sure that you all are aware of this. There are actual actors playing these parts and they do that motion capture technology where they're decked out in those suits, you know, that are all covered in the different things. Yeah. He's the first director ever to figure out how to do it underwater. (laughs) Like that is actually them underwater. And I was reading about this. All the actors had to learn how to free dive and Kate Winslet, who plays one of the characters of the amphibian people, She learned how to hold her breath and in one scene is holding her breath for seven minutes underwater. Wow. Like they're all legitimately underwater when they're filming those scenes. It's and knowing that that kind of puts it on a new level where you're like, damn, that's impressive. (laughs) For sure. So that was cool. But man, I mean, I can't even conceive of that. Really? Yeah. I mean, apparently, you know, there's ways to do it. And they kind of talk about that in the movie. The characters talk about slow your heart rate and all this, and they're teaching them. And and that's a lot of that is, you know, these breathing exercises and focus. And I looked it up. Apparently the world record for holding your breath is like 20 minutes. Jeez. Which is really fascinating because I didn't know that you could go without air that long. I can't even, I can't even uh, think about that. Like, how does one do that? I don't know. And I don't know that I want to find out. All right, and then finally, the other thing, because we've been watching a lot because, you know, we had my son out here for a month, so there was a bunch that got put on the back burner when he was here. So when we took him back, we all of a sudden, I mean, we had a list. Like, oh, we can watch this now and this and this. So we also started watching, there's a new show, came out maybe a month ago or whatever on Netflix called The Diplomat with, what's her name? Carrie Russell. And she plays some lady who is assigned as the ambassador to England And I was like, what is an ambassador? I got to tell you, the show is, if you like political drama, it's really well written and it's a little boring at times, but man, it's, it's a really interesting look 
at what an ambassador does and the relations between the United States and other countries and how they keep that going through ambassadors, especially one like this in a country as prominent as UK. True that. And it's been, we, we, we've, we've enjoyed it. We, we got like two episodes left in the first season. I was like, you know, this is solid. I, I, I could, I'm, I'm behind well, this. Is it, is it more of a cerebral show or has it got some action in it? It's more of a cerebral show for sure. It's really well written. There's a lot of snarky comeback and super diverse cast too, which is great. And I'm a big fan of that because you have, there's Asian actors, there's black actors. It's not just, hey, there's a bunch of white people in America and England and they're running the country. Like you see the, the like just, I, there's a lot more to it, which is nice. All right, that's cool. It is cool, and it, it's it's well done. I mean, there's it's 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 interesting because I I mean I couldn't tell you what an ambassador does. I mean, I know they go to other countries and whatnot, but this is a really interesting look of exactly how that kind of works. All right. Well, I like her, so uh, I may get around to watching it. Yeah, I'm a big Carrie Russell fan. I used to have a crush on her because she was in. This is going to be silly as hell. She was in the relaunch of, oh, what was it, the Mickey Mouse Club? <laughs> wow. But, I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think you were going there. I know, I know. Nobody, you have to be, you might actually have to be like legitimately right around my age because she's only, she's like three or four years older than me. Right. And when she was in the Mickey Mouse Club that they did many, many years ago, God, I'm trying to remember when that was. God, that would have been like early 90s when they launched the all-new Mickey Mouse Club. Right. So that was right when I was getting into puberty and becoming a teenager and all that. And look, I, you know, hey, when you're 12, 13 years old and there's a 15, 16-year-old hot-ass chick on TV, something to it. <laughs> and man, I was into her because we used to, we'd spend like a week out in the summer at my grandparents' house in East Texas and they had the Disney Channel, so we'd always end up watching the new Mickey Mouse Club, and she was on there. It's like, my God, this chick is hot. <laughs> I was all about some Carrie Russell back in the day, man. All right, well, she was hot back then, so she I'm, was. I got back into her on Americans because she's. Uh, oh yeah, she's phenomenal. The Americans, phenomenal. She, she's plain, but interesting. Yes, so, very good actress. Uh, yeah, she's good. All right, kids, that'll wrap it up for this version of the podcast. We'll have another one coming your way on Friday, so be looking forward to that. Finish the week strong, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.